what I also noticed is that it couldn't work without me. This was a business that I could automate certain parts of it. I could build some protocols. Uh, I could um, create some some SOPs. But if I left, it would fall apart. It would always take me or it always take someone running it. And so I, I knew pretty early on that I should probably find something else that didn't require me to be able to make money. And that's when I started getting into mobile home park investing. So anyways, guys, great to have Justin, man. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to hang and get to know people and uh, share what I can that can, you know, be beneficial or helpful, save you from uh, mistakes that I've made or mistakes that I've learned about. Uh, so yeah, kind of to me, it's like, how do we shortcut? How do we, how do we make it easier to find success making less mistakes along the way? Yeah. So Justin, real quick, I uh, just want to promote right away that book you have on your right shoulder right there, The Lifestyle Investor. That's your claim to fame in a lot of ways, right? I mean, that in a lot of ways, you wrote that book, became bestseller. I mean, t tell us about that. Yeah, well, so I had just no expectations. I don't know, you know, what it was. I mean, I had a friend tell me, like, if your book ever sells 10,000 copies in the life of the book, you've really made it because my book you know, still hasn't hit it. And I hope one day that I do. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, that's, that's a really big number. I'm going to, you know, pursue that. And hopefully at some point in my life that happens, that would be really cool. And again, I'm not, I don't consider myself an author. So I didn't really have benchmarks. I didn't write it to like, have it go mainstream. You know, I just, I wrote it that the whole, the whole reason I wrote it is because my friend, uh, John, we were, we were walking around um, Town Lake here in Austin, and he's like, man, I've been asking you to write a book forever. Your friends have been asking you to write a book forever. I mean, you keep kind of kicking the can down the road. When, when are you going to do it? And I was like, I don't know. I just, uh, it's just not on my, you know, forecast right now. And he's like, what if, what if you died and your daughter never learned all this stuff that you figured out that could help Gosh. her get ahead in life? Yeah. And I was like, whoa, you just went there. Yeah. Um, but it was like a total uh, punch to the gut. And so, I mean, that next day I started writing the book. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, he really got me to do it. So I never looked at this as like a thing that uh, could could be, you know, big. I, I never thought people would find it, find the stuff that I find in interesting, as interesting as, as they have. And so, uh, you know, it, it, within a few days, we had sold 10,000 copies. And um, I didn't have a big email list. I didn't have a big following. I didn't have any of this. This was like early on. And so, yeah, it was really uh, just humbling to see the support and uh, people buying it. So it ended up becoming a number one Wall Street Journal bestseller, uh, USA Today bestseller. And at one point in time, so it came out during Obama's uh, book and it came out during Donald Miller's book. And so we even beat them out in, in uh, several categories, which is kind of crazy to think about. And so as of 2023, uh, Lifestyle Investor is a top 1% of all books ever sold in the history of every book, which is just crazy to think about. And so early on, I said at the very beginning, this book was not about me. I'm going to take no money from the book. Uh, all the money is going to be donated to fight uh, human trafficking. So because of the success of the book, we have now donated hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to the human trafficking um, prevention causes and stuff. And so it's, I mean, that to me is like the coolest part about it is I'm teaching people financial freedom and like ways to kind of build a life by design and a life that you love, but we're buying real human 
freedom back, primarily uh, female children, you know, so it's, it's, it's really cool to see the work that God has done with the book, because in my mind, it, none of this was ever going to happen. Yeah, amazing. I, I didn't see it. I didn't have an eye for this. So uh, that's why I can't wait for you guys to get to know Justin today. So Justin, we're going to kind of do more of an interview style today, not a keynote, but because I really want to kind of tailor this conversation around this community today. Because Justin, I mean, you can talk about who you work with. I mean, typically ultra high net worth folks. I mean, your clientele base is folks who typically come out of some type of exit. You know, they have 10, 20, maybe even nine or 10 figure type type exits. And now they're looking to allocate capital, right? I mean, that's a lot of your clientele base today, talking with a lot of high net worth. And so I really want to cater this conversation today around our community, probably not as many <laughs> nine and 10 figure exits uh, on our way though, on our way. So I do want to talk about though, like, so let, let's define lifestyle investor because I do, I've read your book and I do feel like that's a premise that matters to this community in a goal that we're all looking to achieve. And so just the, the idea or the, the, the premise behind lifestyle investor, and then I want to dive into your story, how you became that as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the premise is this, I want I, for my own life. So it started with me. I wanted to buy my time back. I was sick of being a slave to the business that I created. I was sick of being on someone else's schedule. I was sick of living a life that was uh, a reactionary life. It was a life in default. It is the opposite of a life by design. I just went from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. Didn't have a lot of room to um, creatively, you know, process or or think time or anything like that. And uh, some of that's just, you know, it's my own making. But I remember at times in life, you know, being proud of the fact that I'm a business owner and, you know, I own a business. When in reality, I never really owned that business. That business owned me. The greater fear that I had beyond that is I saw a lot of friends that did really well and were very successful on paper or financially and owned all kinds of cool stuff. But what I noticed is that they didn't really own that stuff. That stuff owned them. And it became stressful, keeping up with payments and all this. And I just, you know, had this epiphany of it's okay for me to work hard. It's okay for me to be kind of in the grind in this season of life, but I don't want it to always be this way, especially when I have a family. And I really just truly want to buy my time back because if I have the time and space to think, I'm going to be able to uh, use the gifts that God's blessed me with and pursue things that give me passion and fulfillment and do something that I can actually do for the rest of my life versus just this season of life. And that was it, you know, so I, I, once I experienced having time and actually like itemizing, what do I want life to look like? What would be a cool life for me? What would be an inspiring life for me? Um, and then I started pursuing those things that was just so fulfilling and so fun and I felt like I really came alive. And so my goal was to help other people do the same thing. How do you buy your time back? How do you buy income producing assets that cover the cost of your lifestyle or at least your survival cost? What does it cost you to survive at a bare minimum without any of the fancy extras that you may do? And uh, I do guarantee for most people that when you don't have to worry about money, your decisions change the, the your decisions in your business change, your decisions in your job change, your decisions with your time changes. It, it everything the game simply changes. Yeah, 
So what, let's kind of give us a snapshot of like before, you know, you, you were at that stage of you wanted something different for your life. What were you doing? What was your, your role or job? How, what was your income before you started investing in mobile home parks? And I want to get into that next, but just give us a snapshot of, of what life looked like, you know, what your income was just so we can understand. Yeah, I started um, working with Cutco back when I was in high school, right? I just graduated high school. Uh, that's how I paid for college. I went to University of Illinois and um, my family really didn't have the money to pay for college. So I knew that it was on me. So I knew I better get a job that paid me based on performance, not based on hours. Uh, so, you know, being able to sell Cutco while I was in college was great because I paid for all my school, graduated debt-free and uh, worked hard and did well at it. And then I became a manager with them. And, you know, that first year that I opened up, I earned six figures, which was pretty incredible uh, for me. Uh, I remember as a college student, I was making more in the summers than my parents were making for the summers. And then it got to the point where I was making more in the summers than my parents were making for the year. And then it got to be where I was making more in the summers than my parents were making combined for the year. And I was like, okay, maybe I figured something out here. This is kind of cool. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I kind of kept moving up with the company. I found that I actually like management better than sales. I like building the relationship with people. So I started my own business under the umbrella of Cutco and became one of the top managers in the company and eventually ended up writing um, a lot of their sales training and management training um, with, you know, videos and scripts and all that kind of stuff, building out the protocol uh, for, for the company. And I just moved up with them and, and built a business that became the top producing business, uh, under Cutco with, you know, in, in the, in the prime, we were recruiting about 4,000 people a year. I had a territory that was, um, most of Illinois, Missouri, Kansas, Iowa, Nebraska. So kind of just that the central Midwest. Yeah, it, it was good, but what happened was my income did grow. You know, I got to 200,000, 300,000, 400,000. What I also noticed is that it couldn't work without me. This was a business that I could automate certain parts of it. I could build some protocols. Uh, I could um, create some, some SOPs, but if I left, it would fall apart. It would always take me or it always takes someone running it. And so I, I knew pretty early on that I should probably find something else that didn't require me to be able to make money. And that's when I started getting into mobile home park investing. Okay. So yeah, it's kind of crazy though. So like you really, I mean, a guy who's making that much like freedom really matters to you. I mean, cause you're making really good income, but you're like, Hey, I want something totally different because I'm just not able to step out of this. Yeah. My, my friends all told me I was crazy. They're like, wait a minute, you can double up what you're making. Why, why are you leaving? Why would you leave? You you can make twice as much. And I'm like, guys, guys, my goal was never to make more money. My goal was to buy my time back. <laughs> so it's just a totally different mindset, a totally different strategy, you know? Uh, so it was fascinating though. My friends did not get that. My, my friends could not wrap their heads around that philosophy. Today, I think they get it a lot more, you know, years removed. But for me then, um, I knew, I knew I didn't have to make that much. I knew that if I had my time uh, and I was making enough to, to support my family, that's all we needed. But what I didn't realize is once I had my time back, how I would find all the stuff that I love doing that actually could make more money than I was making. 
because yeah. I was thinking that I was making a lot of money. So why do I need to make more? Right. So let's get into this thing because now we start to kind of get something relevant where you you start investing and you pick mobile home parks. And so this community is really focused, you know, a lot on, I mean, commercial real estate, mainly multifamily, but there's definitely some mobile home parks, self-storage folks in here too, um, some note investors. You know, a lot of people are either focused on finding deals or raising capital. So, you know, it's interesting that then you kind of pick mobile home parks. So, so like talk about that, kind of what, what your strategy is. I also want to know too, you know, we're going to get into this, like how, what you, you know, is that still relevant today? Because mobile home parks back 10 years ago, Justin, was a very different story than where they are today. So talk about what you were looking for, because I think it might be more relevant, what you were looking for from an asset class, why you pick mobile home parks. And then we can talk about if you were to do that today, what would you be looking for? Yeah, I, I got into mobile home parks when I couldn't figure out what it was that I wanted to do, what asset class was right. I was living in Chicago at the time, and really what I wanted to do was buy uh, three flats and four flats. And I wanted to live in one and rent the others out, but it was so darn expensive. That code for it. like a duplex or triplex? for Yeah, them. yeah. So in, in Chicago, it'd be um, floors, right? So you'd have like a four story and each story would be, you know, one of the floors. So yeah. And so, you know, I could get a bunch of renters in, except that they were so darn expensive in Chicago, um, especially in the areas that I was looking. And I was like, you know, back then I, I what see, I thought it was really hard to raise money. So I kind of gave up on it because I was like, I don't know how I'm ever going to get the money to do this, uh, which is interesting. Like today, I know if you have a good deal, money is the easiest thing to find. But I didn't have that vantage point then. So. I was like, all right, maybe I need to get into single family homes. Maybe I need to do that. And I had some friends that were kind of getting into that space. But then I had a buddy that said he went to a mobile home park boot camp and he was going to sell all his single family homes because they take too much of his time. And mobile home parks are way less time, way easier, cash flow is better, and they're way more reliable, like they're lowest, you know, the lowest default rate uh, of all real estate. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. So he said, do you want to go to the boot camp with me? I said, no, that sounds horrible. I have no interest in investing in the space, uh, but you go and you tell me about it. And so he went, he told me about it. He had a deal and I was like, okay, well, I would lend you the money. You know, he's like, I'll pay you 10%. So I was like, all right, well, I'll lend you the money and uh, we'll go from there. Well, this thing performed really well and you didn't have to work that hard and cash just kept coming in. And then I was like, well, why am I lending you money if I could just go buy it myself? He's like, well, I don't know. You didn't, you know, you didn't go to that boot camp. So I ended <laughs> up going to a boot camp uh, and I learned how to do it. And I was like, thank goodness my friend, you know, told me that I should just go do it instead of, you know, keep trying to take, you know, uh, you know, borrow my money. Uh, so then I started, you know, I bought our first park uh, and I, I got trained by the, the largest private owners of mobile home parks. And he's become a dear friend, a mentor. Um, Fr Frank Rolf is his name. And it was just such a cool experience, like, you know, kind of learning what he did and having him take me under his wing. And so we bought our first park and that park replaced my wife's income. So in one fail swoop, um, she didn't have to teach anymore. She was a teacher, high school teacher. Uh, she taught um, business and personal finance. So she retired. We had our daughter shortly after that. So she could be a stay at home mom. And we bought another park that replaced our survival income, which that in itself was a huge weight off of my shoulders. So it wasn't lifestyle income, 
but it covered our mortgage, it covered our utilities, it covered our groceries, it covered everything, it covered the bare minimums just to live. So not vacations, not fancy meals out, but just to survive, we were covered. And, and my whole outlook on my time changed. Like things that I didn't want to do anymore. I was like, why the heck am I doing this? I'm going to hire someone to do it, or I'm going to pivot this person's role to do it. Like everything changed in my mindset. The moment I didn't like the shift from having to work versus getting to work, like that small little shift. And it wasn't like I just up and left what I did. I just changed everything I did. I said, okay, well, I like doing these things. So I'm going to keep doing them. I don't like doing these things. I'm going to bring someone else in. I now can see clearly that people are better at this. So I should probably just bring them in to specialize. I mean, everything changed. I got, I became more confident to hire and fill roles because I didn't need the money. And ironically, my business did better because I wasn't focused on the money. You know, I was making decisions based on what's best for the business. Uh, and, and for me, not what's, you know, not, not having financial, you know, numbers be the, the, you know, right. litmus test of every decision that we make. Right. Um, then I bought another park and that park, um, were these 20% down, 25% down type, type 20%. Versus? Yeah. Well, technically my first two, I find a, I found a, a seller who did a seller finance note and I only had to do 15% down, but then most of my other deals after that were 20% down. Got it. Own cash. Yeah. Pardon? Your own cash at this my time. My own cash. Yeah. I've never raised money. Okay. Uh, I've always just, you know, done one deal at a time and, you know, bought bought a third park and that park covered our lifestyle income. And, and that was like the biggest relief of all. And I had this big epiphany. So this park um, was a, was a great purchase. We ended up selling it so we could double up and buy two other parks. We owned it for a year and a day, but in that year and a day, I'd put $120,000 down to buy this park. In one year, I had made $136,000 in cash. So my cash on cash return for that single year was like 106 or 107%. It was crazy, right? I mean, I got such, we underwrote it. We got such a good deal on it. And then I sold it and made like another 350 or 360,000 in at a year and a day that was long-term capital gains right? But we, we rolled it into two more. So bottom line is I made more money in one year in a park that I spent no more than five hours a week on than this business over here where I was busting my, my hump. I was grinding. I was working so hard, putting in so many hours and I made more doing hardly anything than this thing that I was killing myself at. And that was a big epiphany to me of, wow, I got to, like I got to work smarter. Like it's not yeah. working harder is not the answer here. Working hard, like having work ethic is important, but I need to figure out how to work smarter, not harder. So let's, let's talk about today. I'm trying to um, think about this through the lens of people listening to this today. Cause this is, you know, our, our entire community within this also on the podcast show. I mean, if you were coming, if you were in there today, right, let's say you're grinding at a position, you know, and, and, I mean, if you can remember what that feels like, right, to be laying on the couch at night and you got that weight on your chest of just thinking like, man, how do I get at, like, how do I get out of where I'm at today? Like, it's not going to happen tomorrow, but if I don't start today, it's not going to happen six months from now. 
you know, wh where do you go look? I mean, do you, you know, mobile home parks were good back then, but it feels like, you know, everything you read is like, man, there's no deals out there, right? There's no cash flow, real estates, you know, interest rates are going high. So now that you have such, you have an eye what's happening in the market, I mean, wh wh where would you enter back into? Or maybe a better question is, what are you looking for? How would you begin to ask the, you know, what questions are you asking of where to enter and what to focus on in order to make that those leaps in the next year and one day? Yeah, great question, you know, for sure, Alice. I think I, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I like the way that I entered in. I like that I didn't just jump ship because like I know I could have figured it out, but there was peace and comfort and safety in the way that I did it methodically building up the the passive income my wife felt a lot better about doing it that way but i would still do mobile home parks because it's still the least consolidated real estate asset class so that just means that there's more mom and pop baby boomer type of owners and less institutional owners in that in that space than anywhere else so there's still good deals. So, I mean, we just bought a park two weeks ago and we've got another one under contract now that we close on uh, in nine days. So I still like it. I still think it's great. I think that there are other way, like there are other good ideas that exist. You know, real estate to me is just a safer way to kind of pivot to it. But you have to be careful because it's harder to raise money today. It's harder to get financing terms that are agreeable. But at the same time, it's easier to get seller financing today. So it's like there are pros and cons to every situation. You know, last year, the pro was, uh, it was really easy to get money. The con was, it's really hard to find a deal that isn't bid up by like a million people, right? So now it's the opposite. There's not as many deals. Um, the financing is harder, but there's more seller finance options available because otherwise the deals don't get done because some of these banks just aren't going to, some of these banks are just like, ah, we're a hard pass to everything. Um, so I still like the asset class. I still, I mean, I like a lot of stuff. I like industrial. I like multifamily if it's the right deal. I mean, those got so overpriced and, and inflated that uh, it's hard to to recognize what is and isn't a good deal if you're basing it off of what everyone else is doing, but we're going to probably come into a time where the, the bridge lending bonanza that happened is going to come to roost and, and people are going to have to sell for pennies on the dollar. So that, that time will come. It's going to come in, in um, commercial and retail first, but it will come in multifamily and there will uh, be good deals. Are you finding your deals currently today that you have mobile home parks off market? Is that an off market acquisition strategy? We have 17 parks today and, and we sold others. And I think I've only bought one deal ever that was on market. Okay. Do you, are you going direct? Do you have a strategy where you go, you're sending direct mail and you have someone oversee that? Walk, walk us through how you're doing that. Cause I find it actually surprising you're still buying mobile home parks because I know your other businesses, which are doing really well, and I'm trying to figure out where the heck does this dude spend the time to underwrite mobile home park deals and do due diligence and manage property managers. Tell me about that. Well, my goal is that I'm bringing in smart and sophisticated people to to do everything. Um, they can likely do it better than me when they're specialized in a certain thing. So I just I've gotten to the point where I don't feel like I'm like I feel like we're better at operating by getting specialists in each seat than me trying to do anything other right. than maybe think big picture. 
uh, on what we should be doing. Uh, so yeah, there are great deals still out there. I mean, I've got an acquisition. Well, so one of the things that I noticed is things that I don't like to do. I don't like acquisitions. I don't like the process. I don't like finding them. I've done it. I've done it because I needed to know how to do it. So anything like even when I bought my first park, like I worked in the park, I've done everything because I need to know how to do it. And if I don't know how to do it, someone's going to be able to take advantage of me later. So everything that I ever delegate out, I have done myself before I delegate it out. So I want to make sure that that's very clear. Um, with acquisitions and due diligence, those are the two things that I just, I didn't enjoy doing. I just, my energy is always low in that. So I talked to one of my buddies who is really good at due diligence and starting a due diligence company. I told him I'd be his number one customer, which I have been. And I've hired him for every deal that I've done since he started his company, uh, which is many, maybe 14 or 15 deals. I talked to another buddy into starting an acquisitions company. And I said, I will pay you a finder's fee for anything that you acquire or put under contract. I'll buy the assignment from you um, and I'll pay you generously. And so those, you know, are two great outsourcing options for me. So mm. I have, I have bought parks because I personally cold called until I found owners that were willing to sell. I have done that route today. I would rather just pay someone yeah. uh, a finder's fee that finds an off market deal that they even do the work of negotiating the terms, putting it under contract, doing all the stuff. And I just buy the assignment. Yeah. And the numbers still work for you though, to your point, because you're buying off market and that's what we talk about all the time, guys. This is why we teach off-market strategy right now because his he you're and you're still getting equity in the purchase price, right? Because you're because the deal is still off-market. You're not competing at market level. You're still able, even as a guy who buys the contract, to make money in this deal, both from an equity standpoint and from a cash flow standpoint. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, I still don't buy deals that don't cash flow. What is your metric today on that? For example, walk me through that last mobile home park purchase. What you guys? I just, you know, me as a real estate investor, I get, I don't know about you, I get nerded out when you tell me I'm about to buy a deal. I'm like, oh, you're about to buy a deal right now? People are saying you can't buy deals. So what is the, like, give me the just quick why that was a deal for you, kind of metric-wise. Well, this one made a lot of sense because it was seven minutes from two of our other big parks. This was a small park uh, in the St. Louis metro. And, um I mean, this one's teeny, but it was a great opportunity way under rent, but everything was full. Uh, so it was easy to, it, it wasn't going to be a heavy lift to just come in, clean it up, raise rents, build back utilities, you know, do all the stuff. Um, I, I put 20% down, uh, 20 or 25 year AM, uh, an egregious 8.5%. I mean, I can't believe this is where we are today. Although the the deal that I have right now, I fought really hard with the bank and said, I will never pay that much again. If you want to keep my business, keep me under eight. And they uh, came back with 7.75. So uh, that's really good for right now. I think it'd be hard to to find that. I had to really bully them a little bit. Um <laughs> So yeah, the deal's so still going to cash flow for you after you, you know, after you raise rents, your stabilized yield is pretty good on that deal. Yep. Amazing. Good for you. Yeah. Man. I mean, at this point, like if it broke even, our portfolio could cover it. Uh, so, I mean, in a worst case scenario, maybe I buy today at a break even knowing that the moment I do the rent increase, we're in the positive. But nine times out of 10, I'm only buying if this sucker ca positively cash flows. Yeah. I just, I'm very risk averse. So Justin, here's, what, and then guys, I want to open this up. This is a time for you today. So get ready for your questions. Okay. Whatever they are, think about them, write them down. I'm going to open this time up for you. I want to ask you one, one more question though, for me, for the community is how do you, how do I word this? 
I'm thinking about the person who has who can't just quit their job to go do this, right? Like they still have bills to pay. We still have to provide for our family. We still have a daily thing. So how do you prioritize your time or think, you know, let's say that we know in this, this community is focused on assets. We're buying multifamily deals. So when you think about prioritizing, prioritizing your time to eventually make this passive for you uh, so that it just doesn't become another job, how do you do that along the way instead of just like, bull rushing in feeling like you got two or three jobs now and then trying to kind of wind yourself out of that does that make sense like my question is how do you prioritize passive income generating strategies and not just another job yeah i mean you got to be careful because depending on how you set it up if you're setting it up uh strategically if you're system oriented or if you're not you bring someone in that is you can do it in a, a methodical way where you can scale it if you're not careful, though, the passive income can actually become a job that owns you or a business that owns you, right? Um, so I think you do it by, you know, kind of figuring out, like, understanding what your vision is of your life, what your ideal work life um, and, and play life type of relationship looks like, and figuring out when you acquire things, if that's going to be a conflict or not. And if it is, can you deal with it for the period of time that it would be a, a, you know, a conflict and maybe you can, maybe you can't, but that dictates whether you would buy a business an asset or whatever. Um, I also think though, if you set it up the right way, you get the right people in place, then, you know, I think, uh, I think that's probably like one step at a time, the right infrastructure, you can scale it differently, but it's going to come down to like, not feeling like you have to do all the jobs, not feeling like you have to control everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really good. And I love, I love the thought, man, of just like, if you, I, I do think there's this, uh, even me as someone who is getting, like I, I can afford to hire, but I still like initially when I think of something like my, my first thought is like, Oh, I just got to go do all that work. So it's like really actually interesting for you to even say, and continue to remind me like, you know, there are actually companies that I could just go partner with that do, do that do the due diligence that actually would just do the acquisition for me. Like I don't, I know the strategy, but I don't always get excited about like going and doing that in a new market. So what if I just went and found someone already doing that in that market and paying them for their time, right? Because there is a cost of me going and setting all that up and, you know, learning that and get, even getting momentum, right? And figuring all the tweaks is like, you could buy down that time by just like, to your point, generating someone, you know, compensating someone generously for, for doing that already. Yeah. You either are building it in-house or you're outsourcing to someone else who's, you know, I, I, I like to say, I like to outsource to best in class. So yeah. um, I'm either going to in-house it. And my goal is to in-house as little as possible at this point in my life, because I'm not trying to create a job. I'm not trying to have more employees. I'm like, that's, that's not my goal. It might be your goal. And that's why I think it's important to have clarity on what is important to you. Um, my goal is to simplify. And uh, to me, that just means finding whoever I need to, to help me run whatever the thing is that I'm doing. And I've always looked at the way that I do things as uh, I want a percentage of a bigger pie. I'm okay with a smaller percentage of a bigger pie. I don't need the biggest percentage of a small pie. So I just, I want to get other people around that are great. You know, if it means that I'm giving percentages of the pie and equity, so be it. If it means I'm giving percentages of the pie based on paying someone for their services and paying more because they're better at what they do, then so be it. But 
I just want to be, I want to think through things in a generous uh, and open hearted way and get away from this feeling of holding on tight, like not letting it go, not letting money go, not letting control go. Like I want to be the opposite of that. Justin, any, I don't know, anything we didn't cover, man, you feel like for kingdom real estate investing community, you know, folks are, you know, hungry to both serve God and, and, and go to the next level and, and, and their, their finances and, you know, and business, what would you leave us with, man? Well, I'm going to go in a different direction than, you know, maybe what, from a tactical standpoint, I'm going to go a different, I'm going to go spiritual tactical instead of real estate tactical. And that's, um, I think it makes sense to just, whenever you're in a season of trying to figure out what's next, or if you should buy this asset or whatever, pray about it. And um, you may get clarity, you may not get clarity, but if you don't get clarity, you can follow up and just say, hey, God, close this door if this is not a good one for me to enter or leave it open if you feel like this will be fruitful for for us for our family and um that has served me really well i just want to say on behalf of kingdom rei man we're really grateful to have you uh as just someone to come pour into us today and so i uh, want to make sure we support you in every way like getting your book you also have an, a podcast as well lifestyle investor podcast that's right yeah lifestyle investor uh is brand for the book, for the podcast, for the mastermind, for master classes. Everything we do is under uh, Lifestyle Investor, lifestyleinvestor.com. Uh, we got a bunch of free stuff, free blog, free, uh, a whole bunch of downloadables and stuff. And then every, you know, tier price out there. Hey, just because the show's over doesn't mean the journey is. Listen, if you're a faith-driven real estate professional or investor, then you'll want to go to the kingdom rei.com to learn about our mastermind if you're interested in investing alongside me in alternative investments like multifamily apartment complexes then head to ellishammond.com to learn more about that cheers